0: Oh, my goodness. All right, all right, all right. You guys can have a seat. I want to get through this with the quickness so that we can get back into the presence of God. Amen. 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 Hey, like he said, my name is Terry Parkman, and I know it's Valentine's Day, but we ain't talking about sex and relationships. All right? We're talking about revival today. All right? Is that okay with you? I'm not going to spend time talking about my wife. She's fine. I ain't going to talk about my kids. They're great. But I want to talk about revival. So is it all right with you if I just get into it? Because in my heart, I believe without a shadow of a doubt, you could have as much of God as you want. You could have as much of God as you want. And if you are not carrying the the level of relationship with God with you, the level of presence of God with you wherever you go, it's not because God doesn't desire to pour it out. It's because we're not going after it. I could have as much of God as I want. We see people who move in the power of the Holy Spirit. We see people who walk, and everywhere they go, everywhere their foot sets down, there's revival that takes place. And we say, oh, God, I wish that could be me. It can be you. We just got to be willing to make the sacrifices of our time and our efforts, and we got to place them into the presence of God and practice the pursuit of God. I remember in my life one of the key moments is when I had graduated high school I started college, I was working in a restaurant, and I was complaining to God that I could no longer go to youth conferences or camps or retreats or whatever to get close to him. And as I was complaining to God, he said, Terry, I want you to have a devotional time in me for however long I say until what happens in your devotional time eclipses anything that happens at an event. And so I said, all right, God, I'll take you up on it. And every single night, I would bring my Bible. I'd bring my Strong's Concordance. This before we had digital stuff, I'd just open that big old thing on the table. I would to drink coffee. I'd eat the worst pie in the world at this restaurant I would go to. And I would spend two to four to five hours in God's presence until he said, okay, you're done. You can go home. And that began to till the soil of revival in my life. Because revival isn't something that you catch. Revival is something that you invest in. It comes as after years and years of spending time in God's presence, preparing the soil of your heart. So when he wants to plant the seed of revival, he says, who's God is ready to do that? Whose heart is ready for this revival? Him, her. I'm going to put the seed in there so that everywhere they go, revival takes place. And I don't know about you, but I want to be that person. I got 80 years maybe, give or take, on planet earth before I'm, before I'm translated into glory, before, I turn, before I'm with Jesus face to face. I want to know what it's like to experience the fullness of God to the maximum level on this side of heaven. I don't want to squeak into heaven. I want to storm hell and take everybody with me that I can into the gates of heaven. But that means I have to sacrifice whatever I have to sacrifice on earth to be able to get it because revival... Is where God wants to go. My heart is for the next generation, and I want to see revival take place. But I believe that before every great revival takes place, there's a great exposing of sin. Because it's not until there's an exposing of sin that there's great repentance. And repentance becomes a soil in which revival grows. So I know there's many of you that are hungering and thirsting after the things of God. And you have to know when you say, God, make me a person, make me a man, make me a woman ready for revival, he's going to show you things in your life that block you from receiving the goodness of God. You can't be full of God if you're full of yourself. Amen? And I want to be an open conduit of the flowing of the power of God so he exposes sin. In Luke chapter 12, 2 through 3, it says, there's a time that is coming where everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you said in the dark will be heard in the light. And whatever you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the rooftops for all to hear. And over the last five or so years, there's been a great exposing of sin in the world today. I mean, think about it. With all the pandemics and the politics and the injustices, God is saying, I'm not going to tolerate this anymore. I don't want to tolerate it anymore. And just like a wave, just like a tsunami wave that's about to roll in, before the tsunami comes in, it pulls the water away from the shoreline. And as it pulls the water away from the shoreline, it begins to expose what's hidden on the bottom of the seabed floor. You see all the ugly stuff. You see all the stuff that's left behind. You see the rotting stuff, the dead fish, the swimsuits. I don't know what you want to call it that's on there, but it's not nice. And when the world sees the ugly, after the momentum and everything is being pulled back and everything's being exposed, the world takes their phones out and their cameras out and they point it at the ugly. But you have to know something. There's a time where that exposing is going to stop and the wave of God's power and his revival is going to roll in and we got to be ready to catch it. Amen? Come on, you can give God praise. You know that. And we have to be those individuals not looking at the ugly stuff, complaining about the ugly stuff, but we got to position our surfboard to catch the wave of revival that God is bringing in. And if I'm going to position my heart in the right way, I have to be somebody that prepares my heart in the right way. I can't just hope to show up to a revival somewhere saying, oh, God, there's a revival going there. I'm going to go chase it, and I'm going to show up, and I'm going to experience it. Because when I do that, that's going to that's completely fade away when I leave that space. I don't want to chase revival. I want to be revival in my life. I don't want to hold back. I don't want to say, wow, look at what's going on in Asbury. Look at what's going on at Lee University. Praise God. Maybe I'll go take a trip there and catch it and bring it back. Do you know that during the Brownsville revivals in Florida, there are pastors that would go there, get the video cassette tapes, bring it back, play it for their church and say, this is what I want here. You can't bring something back. You can only become something where revival takes place wherever you go. So chase, yes, chase the presence of God, but not because it's outpoured in a place, but because it's outpoured over your life. We have to do that. Look, I'm way past the time to where I'm excited about church-famous celebrities on the platform or or worship teams that are going to take me there. I can't preach good enough. They can't lead good enough. What we need is a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit in our life and a sacrifice and submitted generation that says yes to God. Amen? This isn't even my notes. I'm just going off right now. I believe that the world is praying for God to do something. I believe that he's praying for the world to do something. There is so much cynicism and snarkiness towards the church today, not just from the outside, but mainly from the inside. You follow those meme pages, you know. The greatest hypocrisy is not saying one thing and doing another, but tearing down the church that Jesus Christ died to build, even as a believer. And the world is praying for God to do something. We're not going to solve it with memes alone or protests or activists alone alone. We're not going to solve it with those things. We're going to solve it by being submitted to Jesus Christ through our life and through our decisions. I just don't want to put him on the throne of my life. I want to put him on all the thrones in my life, the throne of my downtime, the throne of my uptime, the throne of my relationships, the throne of what I do when I want to just hang out and relax. The throne of every place in my life has to be filled with the presence of God if I'm going to see revival take place because the world is praying for God to do something, and God is answering those prayers with the people in this room right now. Why not? Why else are you here if not to be a vessel for God to use for his glory in whatever sector of the world you go into after this? Why not? Why not be a direct answer to prayer? For the context where God places you, you are going to be God's plan A for that context. And there is no plan B, and God is absolutely cool with that. We have to be willing to say, all right, God, if the world is praying for you to do something, I want to be like Isaiah and say, here am I, Lord, send me. That is my heart. That is my desire. But we will not see that happen unless we get that track record in the Lord. We have to have that track record. We see all these great stories of men and women of God doing these amazing things, but what we forget is they have a track record leading up to those great moments so that God could trust them in that moment. There's a whole behind the scenes to that. There's a whole engine room to the showroom. And I don't want you to forsake the engine room because you're hurrying to get to the showroom. I don't want you to forsake the -the behind-the-scenes moments with God where he builds that track record of spiritual fortitude in you so he could utilize you at the highest moments. I want you to dig into that place. And it's not going to be because I woo you to an altar. It's not going to be because of the status of somebody on the platform, but because you make a decision to say, God, any place the presence of God opens up, I'm going to make a decision to find myself there. All through the Bible, we see snapshots of track records throughout God's word. Joshua staying by the tent of meeting after Moses leaves, after he's done talking to God. Joshua stayed behind. We see the Jerichos, but do you see the hours and hours and hours that Joshua spent at the tent of meeting preparing his life and preparing himself to be used by God? We see a a snapshot snapshot with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego where they're standing and everybody else is kneeling and you're like, oh God, I hope I have an opportunity to do that. I hope I'm strong enough to do that. When the world asks me to kneel down, I'm going to stay standing. Yo, they showed up with a track record to that moment. That wasn't the first time they stood for the Lord and that wasn't going to be the last time they stood for the Lord. They showed up with a track record. You look at Peter at Pentecost, right? Peter went from cussing people out to edifying the church. You know what I mean? Peter would like slice off ears and he'd slice up hearts in the spirit. Like, that was so cheesy. But he would do those things, right? He went at, Peter at Pentecost had a track record of being with the Lord. In fact, when people saw the disciples and saw how they behaved, they said they knew that they were with Jesus. Because there was a track record leading up into that moment. And I want to highlight one track record today where Paul and Silas get it. They understand it. You know the story. It's a story where they, are, uh, they cast out a demon, a demon from a girl, and then they're thrown into, into prison. And then after being in prison, they worship the Lord. The Lord sends an earthquake. Their chains fall off. Their prison doors swing open. And it's an amazing moment. We always picture ourselves in that moment saying, God, what would I do? What would I do if I was beaten? God, what would I do if I was whipped? But those big moments are preceded by great track records, and we can't look at those moments in isolation. And when revival hits in your life, when revival hits in this place, when it hits around this country, when it hits around this world, those aren't things that happen in isolation, but they are a product of prayer and sacrifice and submission and redemption, right? The church doesn't gain ground by attacking or assimilating or controlling. We gain ground by sacrifice sacrificing submitting and surrendering one pharisees do one jesus does i'm getting in jesus's lane when i move forward and i build that soil of revival in my life so here we are we have paul and we have silas i'm going to read this passage to you and i'm going to encourage you through it it says this in Acts 16 16 through 26 one day as we were going down in there in philippi by the way to the place of prayer we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future she earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us shouting, "These men are ser- these men. These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved." Listen, She was mocking them, not encouraging anybody. She was trying to discredit them. This demon was trying to discredit them, not trying to give them credibility. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and he said to the demon within her, I command you to come out in the name of Jesus Christ. And instantly it left her. I wish to God I walked in the power of God that me being annoyed sends demons away, right? I wish I can get things done when I'm annoyed, right? I tell my daughters, go to bed in Jesus' name. Done. Like over. Like he was walking in this kind of power. He had a track record. And her master's hopes of wealth were now shattered, so they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city is in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. They're teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And so a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, so he put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet in the socks. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. And suddenly there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains fell off every prisoner. We always look at that moment where the chains came off. And we always say, you know what, you praise God on the public streets as much as you do in the prison, and chains are going to start coming off of people's lives. Amen. That really preaches. Some of you use that in your first sermon that you preach somewhere else. I don't know. That's a good message, and that's a strong message to this. But what you have to understand is what God was doing in the midst of it. So here they are in Philippi, and they are going against the works of the enemy. What you have to know is not only were there synagogues in Philippi, but there were temples to, built to Greek gods and goddesses in these places. And often these temples were built on fault lines so that whenever there would be an earthquake, fumes would come up from in the crevices of the earth and the oracles, the young ladies, would breathe them in and start, quote unquote, prophesying. They would start telling fortunes. When in reality, that put them into a a, a hallucinogenic state and they would make a gateway for demonic possession. And this little girl, scholars say, was one of those oracles. That's why they were so mad. They got this little girl who got possessed by a demon and now they're pimping her out to make money for them. There's a world that is trying to convince the next generation to breathe in what they wanted to breathe in so they can pimp them out the way they want. Building other people's platforms on social media instead of the instead of the platform of Christ instead of the calling that God's called us to live it's no different we look at that and we're like how horrible how horrendous and yet we inhale by doom scrolling all day the things the world wants us to inhale and we wonder why the presence of God isn't resident in us i mean for real And so here's this young person of the next generation following them and mocking them and saying, these two men serve Jesus Christ, who God serves, and he's going to set you free from your sins. He serves God most high, blah, 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 blah. And finally he turns around and he casts the demon out of the girl, sets her free, and the masters don't like it, and they have enough clout that they can get them beaten and thrown in prison. And the question I have is this, are you breathing in what the world tells you to breathe in, expecting a move of God? Or are you only submitting yourself and giving your attention and your time to the things that God wants you to breathe in? It matters. It matters. Forget relevancy. We're, we're going after redemption. We're pursuing redemption. We're getting on mission with God. We're getting on mission with Christ. And if there's going to be revival, not just here, but in your lives, we have to be those people that stop breathing in what the world wants us to breathe in. And expecting a great move of God, we have to be those people who take in what we want, what God wants us to take in, so that we can reciprocate it to the rest of the world. I love this. Amen. We have an opportunity. We have an opportunity today to be able to be those men and women of God that step forward in the call and the plan of God by submitting ourselves to him. So here they are, and they're thrown into prison, and they're beaten down, and they're thrown into chains, and at midnight, they make the decision to say, all right, I'm going to worship God. I don't know about you, but if I got beat down after doing God's ministry, I would be complaining to Silas. If I'm Paul, I would be moaning to Silas. If I had my phone, I'd take a selfie and say, this is what it looks like to be a pastor, hashtag persecuted. I would totally be doing that. But instead of doing that, they chose to praise God. Why? Because in times of persecution, in their lives before, they built up a track record of going after the presence of God. They built up a track record of going after the presence of God. So God sends an earthquake and sets them free. Now, let me contrast these two realities. One earthquake caused fumes to rise up and caused young girls to fall into a hallucinogenic state and, and be slaved to demons. The other earthquake that God sends causes chains to fall off and sets people free. One pursuit causes people to be put in bondage. The other pursuit causes people to be set free. And it wasn't just Paul and Silas that was set free because of the track record of God in their life, but because they had a track record, other people in the wake of their blessing also were set free in that moment. Everywhere we step as believers should bring freedom. Every decision we make should bring freedom. And that's simply because we built a track record with God in our life. If I could have the team come up. I wanted to impart this to you today as opposed to bringing one of the messages that in universities and everybody gets excited about because I believe the time is short. I believe the time is short. I believe the time is short. As I travel around the world and work with members of the next generation, I believe that God is raising up people to help understand the signs of the times and point the direction for the church to take. In Chronicles, it talks about uh, in that day, there were the sons of Issachar that were counted, and God gave them the ability to know the signs of the times and know the direction for the church to take. And I believe God never leaves a generation without a tribe of Issachar to help understand what's going on. Right now, there is a major paradigm shift and I know many of you have, are a hunger and a thirst after God to where you desire to see more of an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in your life. I said at the beginning, you're going to get as much of God as you want. The decision to pursue it is yours. Nobody's going to preach good enough. We can't play enough good songs. We can't hit enough octaves to make people more excited about what we're singing about. We just have to make a decision to say, God, wherever your presence is, I'm going to find myself and I'm going to pursue you. And I'm going to go after you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed in this place, I believe many of you are challenged here today. I believe that what I'm saying today isn't something new and fresh. I believe God's been speaking it to many of you, asking you if you're going to take that step and abandon all so that he could be all in your life. Like Abraham leaving all he knew and had and trusting God to be all he knew and had. You have an opportunity to step into this moment. You know it's made for you. But every time you try to access that space in the presence of God or access the power of God that you know you should have, you might be running up against a wall. And it's not because God doesn't want to pour out. It's because he wants your whole life. He wants to sit on not just the throne of your life, but every throne of your life. He wants you to be somebody that builds up that track record in his presence, wanting more and more and more and more of him, so that he can stretch that wineskin of your heart and bring a greater outpouring of the Holy Spirit into it. And it's not an emotional decision that you make when you get to that point, but it's a devotional decision. One where you say, God, I'm devoted to you, and I'm going to show it to you. And I'm going to be in your presence, and I'm going to be about you, because I need to see this happen in my generation. I need to see this happen in my city. I need to see this happen in my school. God, I believe that what you have after this is even more, and i got to build what the more is going to need. I need to create that space in my life today, and let my heart be the soil for revival. So the altar is going to be open. You have an opportunity to be there. But how you respond to God is totally up to you. So Jesus, I thank you for this group. Lord, some of them are going to have to go, but some of them are going to want to pursue more of you. God, I pray that you bless both groups. But I pray, Holy Spirit, that you hold us accountable. Lord, don't let us just pray prayers that our behaviors won't follow. Don't let us just pray prayers that our behaviors won't follow. Let us not say, more of you, God, and then when you want to give us more, we go live a lifestyle contrary to being what's necessary to receive that more. God, help us to pray prayers and then live the prayer that we pray. Holy Spirit, we want more of you. We desire more of you. We submit. We surrender. We sacrifice because your presence is more important to us, God, than any ambition that we could ever have. Holy Spirit, forgive us. Forgive us. Forgive us for today's version of syncretism where we worship two gods, where we worship God of influence and image God and we don't worship the image of God inside of us. You, Jesus Christ, we need to worship you. Forgive us for that God. Forgive us for holding back. Forgive us for saying we want a lot but not pursuing you to that extent. This time is for you, Jesus. Convict us and never take your hand off of us. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.